Hello and welcome to the fifth Lights Out Racing podcast with our coverage of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Okay, so let's get straight into the news roundup with the first story we'll be looking at is Mark Webber possibly racing for Porsche next season. And for the second story, uh, Kovalainen's returned to Caterham as the reserve driver. And we'll have a look at the grid penalties handed out at the last race. Were they a bit harsh? Okay, so reports suggesting that Webber has signed an initial agreement to drive for Porsche next season. Do you think there's any truth in that? Um, yeah, I think there could be at least a grain of truth in it. He's got to be looking elsewhere. I think I, I can't see that Mark Webber's thinking he's got a long-term future at Red Bull anymore. I don't know if you agree with that, but would he move to a smaller team or, or would that be pointless after after being at Red Bull? Well, I don't know, mate. You know, I mean, that's my best Weber impression, by the way. Um, it seems to be what he what he always seems to respond with at the moment, and um, I think on that basis, I think he's been quite coy. You know, um, I, I I just think he's uh, whether he's using that uh, that, that rumour just to um, see what sort of interest is available. I don't know, or whether it's just a you know a tabloid a tabloid um, ruse, but. I, th- I think he's, he's he's said afterwards though, hasn't he? That um, I think he's been reported as saying that he, you know he feels he's got an F1 future as well. So perhaps uh, perhaps it is still a bit of an open um, open book for the time being, and to see what sort of interest within the um, F1 grid he might he might create. I think I think the problem he's got now is that after multi 21 gate as it's now infamously become known that um, he's possibly questioning whether he enjoys Formula One anymore and actually racing in it and. I think when he was um, right up the front in the lead in 2010 and obviously was just pipped by Vettel at the post to that one, I don't think he's going to get that chance again. I think his time to actually take the championship has passed. He knows that and whether he's going to carry on with that now, I don't I don't really know. Here's a question then. Based on the fact that, as I understand it, Alonso tweeted the uh, romantic dinner he had with Weber and then promptly took it down as to, could he go to Ferrari next season? A, a definite possibility. But again, would yeah, I suppose he'd be in a championship-winning car potentially, wouldn't he? That's, yeah, that's, and, his, that's his chance to, you know. Uh, and anyone that um, drives for Fernando Alonso has definitely got to know where um, how to be a good number two driver, definitely. But yeah, does would Weber, you know, would Weber sort of agree up front to say, uh, agree, I'll be a number two, considering he's, you know, you, you, a lot of people could think or do think that um, he already is at Red Bull. So yeah, that's what I think the problem uh, is. I don't think one. I don't think he seriously considers himself a number two driver. I think he thinks that the reason he's set back in the Red Bull team is he doesn't get the support of the team. So mm. it does make me wonder whether he would actually go to Ferrari think under them same kind of terms, because it's obvious that. The, the leader of that team is Fernando Alonso, so he's going to have to come behind him, especially with Alonso being in the team longer and being more established as well. Weber's actually got to go and establish himself. So we, we can't forget that um, Red Bull was Weber's team, if you like, before it was Vettel's team. He came in and ousted the, the longer standing driver of Weber. So. And, of course, the roles yeah. are then reversed. And if Weber does go to Ferrari, he then has to get, get his foot in the door there, basically, and he has to work his way up. And I, I think he'd be starting from too far back to be able to overturn Alonso. So I'm not totally convinced he'd want to do that. Would he even go backwards? Because I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of examples, but um, I can't obviously think of too many drivers that have evidently gone backwards in teams in terms of development cycle. Um, you could say uh-huh, Hamilton, um, uh, you know, based on what we knew at the end of last season, potentially a backward step to go forwards later on. Kovalainen? Yeah, that's a good point, um, you know, to, to get a receipt. But there would, you know, as you say, would Weber, would Weber do that? Mm. Um, I, f- I think that it's, 
the bottom line that's going to come down to is does he still enjoy racing in Formula One enough to take that step backwards? If if he wants to be his only goal now is to win a championship and he's not really enjoying it to its full potential, I think he'll leave and go somewhere else. Mm. But if he still if he still is enjoying it as he has done through throughout his career, I think he will consider. It's like all of them. I think if they really want to race, they're like Rubens Barrichello. I think he was desperate to get a seat just because he loves Formula One racing so much. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to say, really. But then he's also said he's he's quite into the um, the, the different type of uh, Formula for cars. And as as I suppose he's getting getting older, you know, how much opportunity has he got to try other sports? You know, he has been in the game a long time. Uh, over a decade and you know this might be a time so it's, it sounds very much like it's in the balance and I think um, I personally feel if he's not going to get the interest of any of the other top teams I tend to agree I think he may look to go elsewhere yeah. I, don't, um, I don't think he definitely doesn't want to be going too far back I think it'd yeah, have to be one yeah. of the front um, midfield teams to that would um, tempt him to stay I think Okay, so we mentioned Kovalainen, and um, for this race, he's returned back to Caterham as a reserve driver. Is this maybe a little bit of him crawling back there after parting on not the best of terms last year? Yeah, it's hard to say um, who's most embarrassed, I think, uh, with with the team, really, because I, I do wonder what the objective is, really, um, about what Kovalainen brings that clearly other drivers aren't. Yeah, I wonder if they maybe sort of um, didn't realise what they had until it had left the car and maybe he was pushing the car a bit further forward and making it look a bit better than it actually was last year, possibly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's um, they may not be particularly embarrassed, but it does seem, it seem an awkward or suggest to be an awkward situation. And, you know, is it a case that he just gives better feedback or they want to uh, get his experience of last year's car you know, you know, and because he'd be the only person who'd be able to compare last year's car uh, with this year's car, because obviously with Charles Peake uh, coming in new as well. Um, so I suppose it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, I don't know whether this means he's going to continue to be the reserve driver going forward. Or, or maybe even looking to get himself back into a race seat next year. Maybe they've done some kind of deal where if it goes well, he gets his race seat back, possibly. Times weren't too... Um, drastic well weren't weren't drastically better though I don't think towards the end mm. of, yeah, of the practice sessions the whole thing just does strike me as a little bit weird though I can't really understand like we say what both sides are getting out of the arrangement and mm. sort of especially with Caterham accusing um, Kovalainen last year of the certain things they did regarding contract negotiations and things like that it seems that the, the relationship had definitely gone sour in the look for another drive and Kovalainen was sort of pretty much prepared I think to turn his back on the sport because of the way he was treated by Caterham during those negotiations. So it just seems a very odd um, turnaround, and very quickly as well. It's, yeah, as we're only into the fourth race of the season, and he's already back driving for them. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, I still fail to understand really what the objective is, other than, as, as I said before, whether it was just a case just trying to compare, or having a driver comparing between the old and new cars. But... You know, surely, as is as is evident now, if they've if they've had the feedback, you know, whether that then means that they will continue to 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 sort of use him as a reserve driver, or, you know, was Kovalainen thinking that he'll just take whatever you know whatever he can get, so he can sort of try and attempt to prove that he's still much faster than the drivers there, and and hopefully try and get a seat. I don't know if he can get a seat later on in the season, or whether he can get one, you know, possibly in the following season. Yeah, I think the best chance he's got is probably one for next year, but I. I'm really not sure whether that that is going to happen. I'm not sure if the relationship with that team's too far gone. So I suppose the only way we Mm. can really tell is 
see how it pans out for the next few races, see if they do keep him in his reserve driver and just see what happens from there, I suppose. Okay, our final news story is grid penalties. Um, do punishments fit the crimes? And most particularly focusing on, I think, some of the examples we've had uh, from both you know, what happened in China and um, now then reflected in the Bahrain race and also with uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, tyre blowout, which effectively broke the gearbox and um, incurred a uh, what I think was a five-place grid penalty. So, yeah, so, yeah, I'm... I'm pretty pretty clear on this one from my own opinion in that I you know I understand that some people have tweeted well rules are rules and that's it everyone's got to you know um suffer the, the consequences but really I mean it, it surely there there needs to be some either it's it's investigated by um stewards if that's if there is a technical person that's, that's on that board or, or or some body that should be able to assess things on a case by case basis because Let's be honest, you know, the driver and the team are being quite, you know, punished quite harshly for something which, in my opinion, still hasn't been ultimately proven that it hasn't been a, a tyre failure. Yeah, I think this is the problem as well, because um, Pirelli are now saying after the race that they haven't got enough data to say it was definitely caused by debris. Mm. It's almost sort of um, like, say, trying someone for the crime. They've then served their sentence and they've still not been proven to have actually done yeah. anything wrong. Yeah, so I'm almost tempted to say, well, can he have a plus five grid <laughs> advancement in the next race as a result, please? If it if I think it's proved is, to be beyond their control. I was going to say, I think this is another problem now as well. It's just going to go down to, um, oh yeah, it was. There's nothing they can do about it. They can't give him anything back. So it's, oh yeah, the pen- yeah. penalty was really harsh. They shouldn't have had it, but it's happened. It's like saying, it's yeah, we've now, given, yeah. yeah, we've given someone five years in jail, but we can't take them five years back and give them, give them it off another yeah. crime or something like that. I think you've just got to write it off and say. Yeah, it was was unfair. But what I'd like to also look at as well with 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 this is um, a, a mechanical issue that wasn't his fault gets him a five place grid penalty. Should a mechanical penalty even be more serious than a driver that causes a crash? Yeah, it, it that's the thing because I, mean, I don't quite know exactly the sort of bans that uh, Maldonado received last year, but I, I think it was either of similar or lesser ilk um than than this particular ban i think he got a got a few place grip penalty did he not um we'll have to, I'll have to check that but uh i think the biggest you know, one is obviously um grosjean being ba- um, banned for a race that's for a whole race yeah, yeah that, that is yeah. that is a big penalty but i just think that uh, probably more than anything i think the penalties for the incidents deserve to stand and it has to fit the um the severity of the crime if you like for the penalties handed out mm. for for race incidents yeah but i just don't understand this five place grid penalty for a mechanical i don't i don't see that that is that is as big a crime as causing an avoidable mm. accident that's that's rather than making the um race penalties harsher i'd like to see this one reevaluated i think the um the gearbox change one yeah because I mean, essentially are they are, are they saying because the gearbox has been compromised in the sense that it's been broken a bit like when say for example um not mentioning any names but when a particular team breaks you know breaks a seal on a gearbox and takes advantage of the rules for example mm. um well the, the actual rule is in place as to try and stop the bigger teams from getting an unfair advantage because they could afford to replace their gearboxes at every right. single race and whenever they wanted to because they could afford to pay for the extra gearboxes right. whereas the small teams can't afford to do that so the way to stop the gearboxes being changed is to impose a grid penalty mm. on them but i don't really understand well I'm guessing there has got to be a better way 
than than that to to control that method, surely. Yeah, because otherwise you're suggesting that. Well, sorry, not you, but obviously, you know, the, the rule, in my opinion, is suggesting that um, you could have, Mercedes could have still simulated that, that accident to have broken the gearbox so they could replace it, if that makes sense. You know, like, I don't know, stuck a pin in the tyre or something, I don't know, and, and, and caused it, which is just frankly dangerous and, and way and way beyond what the rule and the, the subsequent punishments should actually suffice, if that's the case. But in my view, it's assuming that, because... You know how else? How else can can they simulate something like that? It was clearly not not planned and, and, and not foreseen, um, and that's the that's the crux of it, in my opinion. I, I absolutely agree, and I really don't think this you know that the rule should stand in its current form any longer. I think they definitely need to reevaluate the, um, the the gearbox changer because it's the same as well. They can say, oh yeah, we're trying to save the team's money, but they'll find them real money for speeding in the pit lane. Yeah, that that's more of an offence than having your gearbox changed. I would say it's kind yeah. of it doesn't the, 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 again the two rules don't tally up and fit the severity of the crime because I think you would actually have to ram into somebody to yeah. well you obviously would have to ram into somebody quite badly to achieve the same place grid drop as you do for changing your gearbox out which to me the that you can't put them two in the same context I don't think right then on to our prediction section where I'll start off by asking Carly's predictions so who have you got down for Poleman for this week I've got Sebastian Vettel down as pole. No, it was a bit of a challenging um, circuit in China, but we always know that the Red Bulls just, I don't think, are clearly designed for the uh, outright straight line speed of that track. So I think they'll be back with a vengeance um, in this race. Um, and I think the difference between um, Vettel and Alonso is that I just feel Red Bull have got the um, slightly faster qualifying pace and seem to pull it out of the bag when they need to. So that's why I've gone for him over Alonso for pole. Okay, so who you got for the race winner? Okay, I've got Alonso down as the race winner. I think um, I think the the recent pace that Ferrari have shown um, during the races has been uh, pretty pretty good, and I think um, I think that's I think Alonso is going to have a good start, and I think that's basically going to make him uh, get ahead quite early on, um, and I think uh, that's when the Red Bulls are at their uh, weakest, when they they are unable to sort of get ahead and sprint ahead very quickly similar to what we what we had in uh, in China so yeah I'm going to go for Alonso for the race win so Tony for your predictions uh, who do you think is going to be on pole um, I think that's going to be Sebastian Vettel for pole this week um, the Red Bull looks like it's got uh, one lap pace but I'm not quite sure if the tyres are going to hold on for the whole of the um, the race but I could be wrong it's it's going to be hot and they've eaten their tyres at the previous track so we'll have to wait and see okay who do you think is going to ultimately win the race OK, I'm going to opt for um, Fernando Alonso because I don't think Vettel's tyres are going to hold. And the Ferrari, although it's not looked massively quick over the, the practice sessions, it has looked consistent. So I think he's just going to sort of come through and win it consistently rather than um, blasting out into the lead and, and doing anything spectacular. OK, Jess, who's going to be quickest on Saturday? Felipe Massa. And who's going to win the race on Sunday? Fernando Alonso. So, Daddy, who's going to be quickest on Saturday? Uh, I think Sebastian Vettel. And who's going to win the race on Sunday? I think Fernando Alonso. So now it's into discuss qualifying, and uh, we've got Rosberg setting the early pace um, with a very quick uh, 1 minute 33, which didn't last too long. Uh, no, we had uh, Alonso coming in with a better time than that on the hard compound tyres, which... Um, 
turned out to be the story of the weekend, didn't it? Whether the um, the gap was actually that big between the hard and the medium compound tyres at the end of the day. Yeah, they seem to be struggling to understand whether um, I think the hards or the mediums were there was a notable performance uh, variation between the two. So yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if we we really understood it fully after that first session about what was going to be the fastest tyre overall. That's it, and I think when we get on to Q3 as well, we see some of the teams um, actually splitting their strategies as well, don't we, to try and cover them off with not, again, still not really knowing which was the faster tyre. Yeah, I mean, other than that, it was a fairly non-eventful Q1, I think. I mean, in terms of who was knocked out, Maldonado was in uh, P17. Um, Gutierrez qualified in 18th, um, but of course, from his previous um, accident in the previous race, he was deducted a five-grace grid penalty, so um, he moved down into a theoretical 22nd position in the race. Uh, Charles Peake in 19th, Jules Bianchi in 20th, and Guido van der Gaard in 21st. Yeah, and it's um, nice to see um, Pick getting back on top of the um, the backmarker team's struggle there as well. Yeah, very much so. It's uh, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a tighter um, run for the rest of the season, I think, between those two teams. Because I think they bought, uh, I believe, Caterham bought a few upgrades to this one as well, so hopefully it's brought mm. their car back on par with Mauricio, and they might actually now be a, a decent fight between the two, because um, so far Mauricio have been... Well, Bianchi especially been ahead all, all the way. So, yeah, after a very uneventful Q1, that leads us into Q2, where um, Paul Deresta set the early pace. And um, over the entire weekend, a very, very strong showing from Force India as well. Yes, the Q2 was really the first indication, I think, that um, I think gives you indication that there's certainly going to be a force to be reckoned with in the race, I think. Um, putting in a very competitive time. Uh, Alonso only just beat it shortly afterwards with a 133. 316 um, and the rest of was 133 um, 335 so not, yeah yeah, not a lot in it at all on, no. on that one and just to sort of go back as well saying that that shows that Force India looked like a force to be reckoned with do you personally think that's going to carry on to the next races because in the races leading up to this they've been there or thereabouts and yeah. never quite made it through incident or various different um, things but not on their race pace it seems that they haven't done do you think they're going to be there now and they're going to be up there challenging the um uh, the back, well, the back of the top running teams. Yeah, I do. I, I think the consistency in the previous races have shown that there's there's something you know inherently quick with the car. I think that uh, I think their challengers are very much um, in the sort of Mercedes uh, you know area. Really, yeah. I think. Um, so and they're, that, they're that look, is, so yeah, they're looking to break into the top teams as opposed mm. to just fight off all the all the midfield teams. I think so, and they're certainly the the biggest. I think they are the biggest surprise of the season, aside from Mercedes being competitive. But I think towards the end of the the season, if they can maintain this, they'll definitely be the mo- the biggest surprise. I think overall, um, I, whether how how well that team looks after their tyres, I'm not too sure about because uh, they did um, they did start to wane towards the end. But as we saw with the Lotus team coming back at them, but that could be more strategic more than anything rather than actual tyre wear. I think um, in, the, in the previous races, I think the tyre consistency has been there then because that's what mm. they've done better than the, definitely all the midfield teams. They've looked after yeah. their tyres better. But like I say, do they look after them as well as, say, um, Lotus, who are very, very good at looking at them? They, they might not be quite there, but I think they're, they're not far behind. I don't think that is, that is one of the strengths of the car, I think. I just I don't know what they've done um, so differently, as it were, to, to last year. I mean, I know we've got to try and factor in the fact that McLaren is is just nowhere near at the moment either, and that's obviously probably you know skewing the... Um, the uh, the orders at the moment but 
Um, you know, all credit to them, whatever they've done or what have they been working on recently, whether it's just been a heavily evolved car, which what it seemed like to be uh, from last year, uh, with quite drastically designed side pods and a couple of other features, really seems to have uh, really seems to have paid off. Yeah, and I think as well, maybe um, Sauber doing quite well last year was maybe their undoing. Maybe they developed, um, carried on developing last year's car for a lot longer than maybe Force India did. And maybe Force India wrote last season off a little bit earlier than the other midfield running teams and have got a big jump on them or like say maybe the whole the team as a whole has just made a big jump forward mm. yeah I mean provided two drivers can um, not bang into each other too often then I think they could have quite a good season ahead of them yeah after that we had Rosberg setting a blisteringly fast time for Q2 and then that just led on to the end where we lost uh, Grosjean and Perez in 11 and 12 uh, Ricciardo and Hulkenberg in 13 and 14 and Bottas and Verne went out in 15 and 16 Okay, into Q3 now, and Duresta continues to do well with a 1 minute 33.388 initially. Yep, and then we had that time completely blown away by Rosberg setting a very, very quick time, and um, I believe he set it near the beginning, didn't he? And no one got mm. anywhere near it after that. No, Vettel, uh, when he said he did a fastest lap afterwards, said that, um, oh, I felt that was pretty confident I was going to do it. Uh, then only to find it was still second, and then Rosberg came in with another time, which was. Uh, much quicker so yeah I think it was he, one... he ended up about a quarter of a second down I think didn't he and he said there wasn't there just wasn't that much extra time to be found in his lap yeah he did and uh, obviously Rosberg initially was a 132.543 and then he did a much quicker 132.330 so um, yeah much much quicker and certainly so that was that seemed to be the peak of the tyres he must have got the qualifying lap on them at that point or do, um, you, do, do you think as well with Rosberg um, do you think that the car is very very quick and the tyres fade quickly, or do you think that Rosberg actually put even more of a spin on that with um, setting his car up for qualifying and not the race? Oh, it's, it's quite hard to say. I think I think um, I think it could be both. Um, I think just to answer your first point, I think the car is is quick. Um, the car has been clearly been designed to be uh, one of the quickest cars out there, and it is uh, on light fuel and um, fresh tyres. But I think, yeah, I, I, you know, there could be an element, the fact that he set it up well as well, uh, or set it up um, quite, because I remember him saying in part of the practice sessions that he was having quite a lot of understeers to try and save the rear wheels. Um, so it sounds like uh, they either managed to get a good balance or they just pretty much, <laughs> you know, went, went with uh, no understeer and just, you know, sacrificed um, the race again for, for a good qualifying position with the hope, I think, that perhaps some of the cars behind like Vettel and Alonso's tyres would also go off because they're in the turbulent uh, yeah. turbulent air. Yeah, because I was thinking, well, when, when sort of um, comparing it back to sort of the McLaren of last year where they would set their car up um, purely for qualifying, would go out, do very, very quick times. And obviously you've got Hamilton, who is very, very good at one lap speed anyway. It's very, very quick. So he was able to take the McLaren there, but the McLaren would always fall away in the race pace, not because the car was particularly bad, but because they seemed to have lent more on that qualifying setup. Yeah, and I, I think um, obviously with the Mercedes, I think uh, you know we'll just have to see if they're able to convert still as a competitive qualifying time, perhaps not the best in future races. I think, um, well, we've got we've got the very hot tracks out of the way now, where the, it's notorious for the tyres going off quick. So it will be interesting to see now as we come back to Europe and, well, definitely slightly cooler tracks in the middle of the desert, whether their car will hold the tyres a bit better, and it might might actually bring them into play um, a lot more along the line. There seems to be there seems to be a theory that they haven't quite got the the tyres. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll say that again. I think um, 
uh, I think Ross Braun's point um, where he was saying about we got that fast time because the track started to um, get into a, a, a more effective operating temperature. They seem to have an idea over what that is. Um, so we'll just have to see about, as you say, whether that's going to be a consistent um, or, you know, that's going to be a bit more closer for the European seasons coming forward. So, yeah, as we were just saying, that leaves um, Rosberg and Vettel in one and two at the front of the grid. Um, Alonso come in third. Uh, Hamilton was fourth or set the fourth fastest time, but obviously is demoted to ninth because of his gearbox penalty after his tyre failure in practice. Uh, Weber in set, uh, fifth, but demoted down to seventh because of his um, grid place drop for his um, little indiscretion, should we call it, for the last race. And then we had Massa and Deresta at six and seven. Uh, Sutil, Raikkonen and Button squeaking into the top ten. Okay, so that leads us into the race where we had Rosberg managing to maintain his lead off the line, but that didn't last very long as within a lap or two he'd been um, overtaken by Vettel, who was going for it very aggressively. Yeah, Vettel said at the uh, interviews after the race that um, it was absolutely crucial for him to uh, get ahead as quickly as possible, um, which, although they'll, they'll never admit this, I think, is to uh, preserve the tyres as much as possible, because I think Red Bull have very much realised and very quickly that... Um, well, especially with their car, but I think to a certain extent quite a lot of other cars um, use up their tyres a lot more when they're in turbulent air yeah, um, behind I, the other cars. I, I think Red Bull, the whole design of the car is based around them being out in front all the time, so they don't actually factor in that turbulent air when they're doing the designs of the car, I don't think, and that's why Vettel is so good. When he's out in front in turbulent air, the design of the car's working perfectly and he's just able to pull away into the distance, whereas I think if he's behind any other car at all on the grid... He, like I say, will either eat the tyres or he'll fall back very quickly into the other cars because it's just not reaching the potential. Do um do other teams design the cars? It probably sounds like a silly question, really, but do I, do I, do the teams for um sort of develop their cars to handle straight line uh, speed, or do they do they also factor in the level of turbulence they could be suffering on race by race? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both with that because you've got to factor in like drag and things like that whereas you're creating downfalls if you're going to have your car glued to the road in the corners it's Mm. not going to go as fast in a straight line because it's generating that drag that's slowing the car down so you've got a little bit of both but you've also got the problem if if you haven't got enough downforce you're going to wear your tyres out because your car is going to start slipping in the corners which is effectively going to start grating the tyres a little bit. But, yeah, I suppose what I'm thinking of is if the turbulent air, though, if, if the car is designed to try and best deal with that turbulent air as as as, you know, as, as efficiently as possible, does it make it necessarily slower in, in a straight line? I, I don't think it's a design thing. I don't think you can design right. for turbulent air because you can't you can never predict the way the air is going to come at you with the turbulent air. That is exactly right. that. There's no there's no formula for predicting what it's actually going to do. So cars that maybe haven't got as much downforce aren't going to suffer as much because they're not making the most of the good conditions oh, like the Red Bull are. Whereas the Red Bull car acts perfectly when it's got the perfect conditions. When it hasn't got the perfect conditions, I think it's a lot more vulnerable than maybe some of the other cars are who um, possibly aren't as good, have maybe got a little bit more mechanical grip rather than aerodynamic grip than mm. the, the Red Bull has. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether that's um, a sign of things to come, really, because you see a lot of the other teams, um, they do seem to suffer this, to, as, as you said, or you, I think you've alluded to, you know, to still, still suffer from some of the tyre degradation um, when they're behind other cars. But it seems to have only really come to the fore, really, this the discussion of getting out ahead or in clear air since the, uh, well, I'd say the last couple of seasons, really. I don't remember this being a 
predominant factor with tyre wear, you know, in past seasons. Um, I don't think the tyre wear has been as much of a massive issue because I think the tyres have actually been of a harder compound. Obviously, we've seen Pirelli been mm. asked to bring softer tyres, and this is why the tyre um, degradation is now becoming an issue. But what we've seen before in previous seasons, everyone's um, been complaining about the lack of overtaking, which has, as aerodynamics have got better, the overtaking or the effect on the cars behind them has also got greater because they're relying on the aerodynamics. Um, it's become a lot harder to overtake the cars because as soon as you get close to one, your airflow is spoiled and your mm. car effectively then goes a lot slower. So although it wasn't having an effect on tyres in seasons before, it was having an effect on overtaking. And this is why we've seen things like Kurs and DRS introduced to try and get sort of um, basically get around that problem of mm. the dirty air that the cars are running into. And talking of the tyres going off as well, we had Rosberg's M tyres. Well, it seemed as if his tyres went off very quickly because as soon as Vettel had overtaken him, he then faded very, very quickly into the, the chasing pack as well. Yeah, I, I, this is this is probably, I, I suppose, the um, least surprising um, occurrence uh, of the whole race, I think, really, because um, I think uh, even a lot of people were already saying beforehand that, oh, you know, Mercedes tyres will probably go off quick, and they duly did, but I must admit, I really didn't expect the tyres to go off as quickly as they did do. No. And I wonder if he suffered with some of the same thing that Hamilton did as well, because Hamilton said as soon as he put hard tyres on that car, it became like a different car to to drive. So I wonder if Rosberg suffered massively with the drop-off of the mediums, because they were the um, uh, definitely the weaker tyre for the race. Yeah, it's something which I can't, I don't quite understand really in terms of why why the um, a harder compound tyre would actually work, unless the fact that it's just a bit more, that bit more durable that um, the optimum grip and temperature that the Mercedes were, were eating in quite quickly into the tyres just lasted a bit longer. I think it was, um, I, I, I personally think it was the temperature of the track because I think the medium comp... Because they, what one thing Pirelli did say was there wasn't a massive difference between the compounds for this weekend. They were quite mm. close together and that's why a lot of the teams debated which would be the actual best because the operating temperatures for the tyres will be slightly different depending on the compounds. So I think mm. the track was just that hot or that little bit yeah, that was was that hot that the medium tyres weren't working. They were just overheating too quickly, and the uh, harder tyres um, had the basically the ta- the track was in the optimum range for the harder tyres. I think. Mm. But we saw we saw him basically yeah fall back extremely quickly, um, and effectively struggle to keep up because they're always fighting against uh, you know a, a a car which very much wears its tyres out very quickly. So I honestly don't know where they go from there unless they just try and work out you know how how the mercedes can um you know use the tires more efficiently for the next few races because that's their key they've they've clearly got a very quick qualifying car but just one which just cannot um deal with its tires i think with if they bring a good upgrade package to um uh, the european grand prix when they come back to that if they can do something there they might not need to tweak it that much because i think they just need to make the upgrades they're going to make and then just see how it handles on a um, cooler track as well because I think that's mm. been um, a lot of their undoing so far is the fact that the tracks have been quite hot and all the tyres have not had the normal um, tyre degradation, but they've actually had thermal degradation just because of the sheer heat of the tracks. We did, but as you say, we saw um, Hamilton seemed seemingly the opposite way around, really, struggle at the beginning of the race um, and then come back right at the end with it. With a, uh, did he finish with the hard compound in the end? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he finished with the hard. Yeah, he put, they, they'd done two stops for the mediums to start with. And they didn't get on. He didn't do anything. I think he was in about P11 after those. And then as soon as he went onto the hard tyres, he then climbed his way up through the field to P5, where he finished. 
I'm not sure if that was because was the track cooling down at the, by that point. I wonder because I wonder if that just so happened to coincide with the the hard tyres still being at a at a decent grip level and at a temperature level. Yeah. Um, with obviously a lighter car, you know, suddenly he's got himself a really competitive car again. Yeah, it could be. It could be like say the um the track temperature during the day might have been just outside the range for the hot tyres, but as the track cooled down slightly, like say fuel loads burnt off. And it might have brought it just back into that the optimal window for the tyres that, like say, it then brought his car alive in that final part of the race. I guess to make them truly competitive, they've just got to try and get to that get to that stage. Um, obviously, in different using different parameters for the European races, just say operating in cooler temperatures than um, than Bahrain, um, but also trying to get effectively achieve the same result. So if they can see that, then at least they can find out the question why, because as I say, Lewis wasn't too sure. Um, driving so hopefully the guys have found that that that's that's why and then they just need to try and replicate that as best as possible without using the tires up so quickly and one sort of small side issue to that as well so sometimes you get the benefit of if your car overheats the tires a lot quicker than the others on the very cold tracks or in the rain or things like that that your car then has the sort of added side bonus of being able to heat the heat the uh, tires up quicker than the other things yeah yeah yeah. So that might come into play a little bit for them when they're on the colder tracks. But I, I think, again, it's just a bit of a lottery for them at the minute. Until they go to those cold tracks, they can't really mm. make a decision on what they're going to do. It's a good point, though, because we saw Rosberg very competitive in the Mercedes on on the wet track uh, in Malaysia, I believe, as well. So, um, you know, it certainly looks like it's it's going that way. Yeah, and in Austra- the first couple of um, sessions for Australia as well, the qualifying mm. sessions there, he was um, uh, leagues ahead of everyone else. So. Yeah. Okay, yep, so that will take us on to um, uh, Fernando Alonso and his slightly disastrous race again through car car failure. Yeah, well, we, we both predicted him to win the race and he's, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll come to this in a bit, but he was extremely um, quick with, you know, with this issue. So I, I feel quite confident he would have either won or been very close uh, to winning if he hadn't had it. But yes, the DRS issue occurred. It effectively meant that... Um, when he activated it at the particular point in the race when it failed, it seemed to have clicked over itself effectively in the mechanism and so then forced itself open and then wouldn't uh, uh, go back down when the brakes were activated. Um, So I was just going to say, I think from what I read from Ferrari's report afterwards, what they said the problem actually was, was the cap on top um, that the the slot gap um, flap actually opens up onto the, the placeholder bit at the top had actually broken backwards so there was nothing to stop it and it was basically flying or o- opening backwards on itself so that was opening full up rather than just the position it should have done so yeah so it, it was a complete, right when it was open <laughs> no that was it no it was a complete yeah. failure there was no way that was going to come back it had actually broken the um, the holder yeah. off of the top so yeah, which which makes him more bizarre though that they they bring him into pit and I think he could have made it back onto a podium otherwise and then he they uh, roll him back out and he activates the DRS again. Yeah, it seems quite a strange call. I know a lot of people said that, that was a terrible move from Ferrari to not tell him that he couldn't use it, but to me I I would have thought that maybe he wasn't aware of what the issue was and maybe it was a miscommunication that they didn't t- perhaps the fact that they just didn't make it very very clear was was the problem. Would they have known at the pit that that was a problem? Or did they did they did they kind of perhaps thought, oh, he just got a little bit stuck. We'll try it again. No, I think because they actually did. Well, <laughs> what I can remember seeing of the first one, one of the mechanics or whoever it was was actually in charge of, of um, fixing it for want of a better no. word. Was um, actually hammering down it with his hand. So they must have known at that point that it was broken. Hmm. Yeah, very bizarre because that effectively meant he had to come in again um, after that. 
they he then had to fight the rest of his uh, race with no DRS effectively. And I, you know, I, it certainly just shows how competitive the Ferrari still is, though, to still achieve the position they did. And I think, um, you know, he would, he would have definitely been in there with a fight at the end. I think. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, when we get to the point in the next few races, well, I think we'll 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 see them come back. I mean, you know, finishing eighth as he did this time round. Uh, with no DRS, um, with multiple spits, uh, pit stops that he wouldn't have planned for, um, shows that they they do have a do have a strong car. Although Felipe Massa finished 15, but of course he had his tire issues. Yeah, two, two um, punches. And just yeah, just just, just to sort of go back very slightly to Fernando Alonso as well. So it's, I think you got to have a bit of a shout out to him to um, have actually got the car back to the pits twice with the DRS flap actually open because the amount of downforce that would have. Um, taken off his rear tyres, that would have mm. been like driving a, um, a skid car around, I should imagine, with the, just no yeah. weight on the back end at all. So, um, yeah, hats off to him for actually getting the car back twice with um, the DRS stuck open. Very much so. OK, so um, into on to, as, we, as we've already briefly mentioned, I suppose back onto Massa's punctures, um, we've, you know, seen, or I think we saw in practice, didn't we, Lewis Hamilton's um, rear left. Uh, come away, um, yeah. looked, like, looked like a sidewall uh, rip, and we saw two punctures uh, for Master as well, which again made it very difficult for him uh, to get any kind of result this this race. Um, this I feel is more obviously inflicted in terms of the the tyres and the debris, but we haven't quite seen a clear answer yet from uh, Pirelli as to why why it happened. I mean, debris seems to be the the, the most vocal uh, reason, but nothing's truly been quite confirmed yet. No, I've been keeping a close eye on this one to see what Pirelli are going to say, and they've um, or what they're going to conclude from their the results of uh, whatever data they've taken back with them. And they've concluded now that it looks like masses were both caused by debris, but the Hamilton one is still under investigation. They're still not completely ruling out what that one was. So, yeah, and you know, the, the, some of the some of the Quotes have been to say the debris caused the tyre to heat up, but it is concerning the fact that it does seem that um, the tyre seems to rip from the sidewall. And I'd, you know, normally with punctures you see them the carcass sort of flaps around if it's a middle punct- middle puncture, for example, and, and then comes off. But this clearly tears at the sidewall. Yeah. Now, I think, I think as well, not only that as well. When when you're saying just then about um, debris causing the tyre to overheat, I think there's a little bit of a problem even with that as well because if the tires are overheating and the glue is actually coming off yeah. then who's to say that um it's just not the the normal temperature of the track that's actually caused that as well and what they were basing their evidence on of debris overheating the tire as well was the fact that uh, i think it was van der Gaard who come along the same straight uh maybe 10 seconds behind hamilton uh, also had a cut to his tire as well and that was then um conclusive enough for them at the time to then say, oh, because Van der Gaard was 10 seconds behind him, he got a puncture in the same place. That must mean that Hamilton's a puncture. So I don't really see that as conclusive evidence that that's what's caused it. Yeah, well, we're, as I say, it um, it pretty much ruined uh, Massa's race as well. And we'll have to see and we'll look forward to some more specific comments, hopefully more information coming ready for Spain. We know that um, there have been some announcements that they're going to change make the hard compound tyre a little bit more harder, a little bit more akin to the 2012 tyre as well. Whether that will make a difference on the warmer tracks going forward, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, it should, we'll ha- it should give yeah. them a higher higher tolerance to that the higher temperatures there. Mm, very much so. So we'll look forward to seeing some more answers from them. Okay, yep, and on to... Uh, well, these weren't car um, failures. These were um, 
we, we had contact, but we didn't have any punches, was the um, fight between Perez and Button, which um, made for interesting viewing. It, it did, because I really enjoy watching it, and I, th- I thought this is, you know, from Perez's perspective, I thought this is his, his chance to sort of see that he can compete with his teammate. Yeah, and doing exactly um, what he was told to by the team last the, well, the week before the race as well. With, you've got to be yeah. more aggressive, so you can't, yeah, you can't get more aggressive. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty. You know, he said you got to be more aggressive, so he is, he is doing that. Um, I think the problem I have with it was not necessarily that they were racing each other. I suppose if we get the, um, in my in my view, the what Perez could have been at fault with, and that's actually touching the back wheel of Button's car. That's yeah. I just want to get that out of the way first and say, yep. You know, absolutely, he he shouldn't have you know um, done that. But I suppose there's always a risk of that if you're racing so close. Um, I've also heard as well that a lot, a couple of people have said that um, it was just pure speculation that maybe Button was a little bit slow through the corner as well, and that Perez was actually caught out by that, and not the fact that he was going too fast. So, yeah, there is that, and uh, you know, who, who really knows unless you were in the cockpits themselves. But I mean, it certainly seems that. Um, I think, you know, there's probably an opportunity for Perez there to, to hold back a bit and only really go for it when he knows the opening's there. If if the car, if he is that much quicker, you know, um, otherwise the car is only just slightly quicker and there's always a chance that you're always going to be struggling to, you know, hang off the tail end of the car in front. But I think, um, you know, I think aside from that, though, I do feel that, you know, it was it was it was good racing. It made it for very interesting, much more interesting than at the front at that point, because it was getting decidedly processional and boring. So. Um, you know, especially with Alonso's problems. So, yeah, I, I suppose my con- the concern I have there is, is you know, so okay, McLaren have said that the teams, uh, the team orders in the sense that there are none, and that you're encouraged to race each other. But I do feel it's almost the polar opposite end to, or quite significantly different from the Red Bulls examples from um, when. Vettel overtook Weber because there didn't seem to be any kind of indication for both drivers about how that situation should be handled. Yeah, and I think the problem is as well, the team needs to relay what strategies both drivers are on when they're in the same team so they can actually gauge an idea of who is going to be quicker. And if mm. Button's tyres are fading and Perez has got the stronger car, as you say, the quicker car at that time, the obvious thing was would be for the team to tell Button to let Perez pass. Otherwise, both of you are going to wear your tyres out fighting with each other. So yeah. I think you can almost say they need to apply a team order and because I think too much is being made at the minute of team orders being black and white. It's one person being held back for the sake of the other, but I don't think it always has to be like that. I think no. if Perez is going to, if Perez is, wants to get what is, has the quicker car to get through and Button is obviously going back, Button isn't going to do himself any favors by holding Perez behind him because he's going to mm. be wearing his tires out while he's fighting with him. And yeah. maybe that was what even caused Button to head that far back down the field this race because he wouldn't let Perez through. He took too much life out of his tyres in that fight. And that's where McLaren needs to have those uh, maybe softer team orders, if if you can put it that way, rather than the mm. you do not pass. It's just like maybe uh, just let Button know you really need to let him pass because if you wear your tyres out, there's two or three more cars behind you that are going to be waiting to take advantage of your slower car after the battle, maybe. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I think, I mean, you know, I don't know, where, I don't know whether the teams can can call it anything different, but you're right. I see it as also as like more softer team orders or indications or something, yeah, whatever it. it needs to be, to to say to them that this is actually could still be in the long term benefit of your race as well. Yeah. Um, especially as you said, in terms of the way the tyres work and, and and the sort of the way that you can so easily burn them up. 
Um, and Button isn't one for using his tyres up quite aggressively either. So it just proved that, you know, how, how much he was probably trying to fight to keep ahead. Um, so, I, you know, I do feel that there needs to be... And now, now, you know, bearing in mind that Vettel obviously clearly ignored the multi-21 type team strategic order. And obviously um, that, that was quite a hard team order as well. He was specifically told very, you will not yeah. overtake Weber. Whereas, like I say... I would have given, I'd say, leaning towards the softer one would be give the drivers the opportunity, tell them both all the facts, whereas McLaren just sort of, it almost seems like they just left them to race with no knowledge mm. of of anything that was going on around or outside of them two racing. Yeah, it's almost like, um, you know, I don't think, I agree, I don't think you necessarily have to have the complete opposite end of the spectrum either to achieve what you want to achieve. Mm. Um, and I think that's ultimately what they did. And I feel that that risk, if they carry on like that, I can really see them coming together and taking each other out quite often this season not just once um so hopefully they'll you know hopefully as part of these clear the air talks they'll they would have tried to resolve something like this because otherwise i just feel we're going to see the same problems again i think yeah and i think as well a lot of people have said um in previous years a lot of um uh, the, the comments around mclaren not winning titles for a long time is the fact that they won't pick a clear driver as the winner and a lot of people have said um if uh, mclaren had made button back hamilton when he was further ahead and maybe vice versa in different things rather than just letting them race that they may have actually had more drivers um, and possibly constructor titles as well if they had actually imposed those softer team orders because at the end of the day the team needs to do what's best for the team and having two drivers that are fifth and sixth with worn out tires is is far worse in my opinion than having um the, the the order reversed basically having six overtaking five and then then just both going on and keeping their tires intact from the, the cars behind them yeah. so it's it's sort of the greater good of the team is what's at stake and that's what um i think mclaren need to get a hold of and realize it's not all about telling one driver to stay back it's about managing the whole situation which they don't seem to be able to see that bigger picture yeah we'll certainly see if anything's been learned in the next race Okay, um, moving now on to uh, Paul de Resta's, uh performance, which I think is is worthy of note. I think he qualified very well, um, and that actually converted into the race, but um, was so close to actually being a podium, but it, sadly it wasn't to be. Yeah, I think that's it. And it was again, he didn't make. He was aiming for a two stop, wasn't he? He ended up doing a three stop. Yeah, that seemed to be what I remember as well. They they were reacting to uh, what was going on around them, and I think they found after the second stint it wasn't quite going to happen. So um, pitted again, but then found that those tyres just came came fell off too too quickly in reaction, or I should say in 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 contrast to what Lotus were doing. So. I don't think it was necessarily um, a Force India error. Um, I think it was more just a case of they they had their game plan, as you say, for a two stop, went three stop, but then found that you know Grosjean then just had the fresher tyres at the end, and it made such a massive difference. And I think it was Martin Brundle that said, if I'm remembering it correctly, that the problem with where they brought Derester in was neither a two stop nor a three stop. It was kind of right in the middle mm. of both, so he, he wasn't really covering anybody or reacting no. to anybody. It was a bit of a, a no man's land for the time that he pitted. I think. Well, that's a fair point, actually. Um, you know, and that's probably the one thing which I've perhaps foreseen you could perhaps learn from, you know, either stick to the, the, the strategy or, you know, because as you say, because as we could see, that third stop was kind of in between and turned out to be too too long to try and keep that position. Yeah, that's it. And then, like I say, because they weren't really reacting to anybody, they had nothing to gauge 
what they were doing by and that allowed Grosjean who was obviously better on the tyres and I think he had fresher tyres than Dresta as well Mm, from the way that it worked out he had fresher tyres he looked after them better so uh, unless he ran out of laps he was always going to pass Dresta at some point on the track so and a very very um, surprising uh, finish from Grosjean to be to be a third Um, but you know it shows that uh, he may he may be coming back he finished I think third in the same race last season. So let's, let's see if he can actually maintain it this time. Yeah, and I think if we look towards sort of like the, the next couple of races, if the Lotus are both finishing very close together as well, that shows it's a quick car rather than very much so, yeah. Viking them actually pulling something out of a car that's maybe not there. So Yeah, yep. Okay, moving on to our technical section now, where due to the fact that there's obviously been quite a lot of uh, tyre debate in the news recently, we thought we'd just explain a little bit about tyres and their allocation over a weekend. Okay, yes, so the allocation for each driver over the race weekend is 11 sets of tyres. Six of these will be the harder prime tyre, and five of them will be the softer option tyre. Then after practice session one, the drivers will have to hand back one set of the prime tyres, which is the harder compound. Then after practice two, they'll have to hand back one of each compound, so one of the harder, one of the softer, and the same again after practice three, one of the harder, one of the softer. This then leaves the drivers with three of each compound for qualifying and the race. The top 10 drivers from qualifying then need to start the race on the compound that they set their fastest qualifying lap on. All the drivers outside the top 10 though are allowed to choose the tyre compound that they start the race on. During the race, each of the drivers must use at least two different compounds of tyre. This could be the hard and the soft compounds, or it could be... Um, both wet compounds or it could be a mix of the both maybe one dry one wet but they need to use at least two of the four compounds available right so all that leaves us to do now is wrap up the podcast with our few announcements at the end so i will hand over to carl for um, a little bit of information about our uh, lights out racing league that we've started yeah so basically this is a um Grand Prix management uh, simulation, uh, courtesy of the IGP Manager League. If you Google it, you'll be able to find it. So that just repeat, that's IGP. Um, but, but basically, it's where well, so, you... Sorry, just to cut in on you. Also, as well, you've um, posted up a link in the forums as well, haven't you, in our forum? Uh, that's right, yeah. It's all up there for the details um, if, if you want to go there instead. Um, and basically, yeah, so what you do is you register either by your Facebook account or a separate account and log in and you're effectively a manager um, using a basic race strategy, really, to uh, try and try and beat your friends or other people around the world. So um, more, more, even more so me and you, as we're yeah, both in the Yeah, that, that is true. Yep, yep. I'm uh, the Crossfire Racing Team and uh, Tony's obviously the Lights Out Racing Team. Um, at the moment, the league's full, but uh, we tend to have, being a being an initial rookie league, uh, the turnaround seems to be quite high uh, where people are just trying it out. So if you are interested, give us a, a an email via the Lights Out Racing email address um, at podcast at lightsoutracing.co.uk or follow us on Twitter and we can or send us a note on Twitter at Lights Out Racing and we can provide you the details and we'll certainly um, put you at the front of the pile um, for access to the league as of, as of when a place becomes available, which should be pretty pretty quick. Um, basically, the races tend to run at every Wednesday and Saturday at the moment um, for uh, a couple of months at a time to represent an entire season. Um, but any more details, don't hesitate to give us a shout. Yeah, I think we're all having um, good fun over there. We've got our um, old pal, Thermonuclear Dave, with his... Um his tyres that seem to go um, to critical mass at every race because he seems to push them so hard. So, 
Yep, some drivers are already getting some nicknames and some uh, good or bad or infamous reputations, I should say, from some of the Darth strategies that we employ, which including me um, not putting enough fuel in and pitting on the last lap of the race. Those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it's good fun. And uh, Oh, and yeah. don't forget as well, and, and me by picking a driver, um, nothing at all to do with how good the driver is, just because he, uh, because he was called Jesus Alonso. So. Indeed. <laughs> so uh, we, we'll see. So you're, everyone's more than welcome to uh, come on board and give it a go. So the way to contact us are via email and our email address is podcast at lightsoutracing.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter. That Our username is at lightsoutracing. And also at the minute, we're possibly looking at the idea of maybe getting some T-shirts with the podcast logo on there. But we'll keep you more up to date as we have more news for that. And the other way to get in contact with us is over at our forums, which is live now at www.lightsoutracing.co.uk. So in the now usual finish of the podcast, I'll leave you with our outtakes. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'll start again. Sorry. I know where I'm going to go with this, though. <laughs> Where's the question? <laughs> what do you- no, you're gonna wait for it there. The first story we'll be looking at is Weber possibly competing for Formula. Oh. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> oh god. Uh, I'm probably gonna go for Sebastian Vettel on this one. I think. Um, Why is that? Um, it's hard to say. I think. Oh, <laughs> 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 we won't bother then. So, for your race predictions now, Tony, who do you think is going to be on pole? Um, I think Fernando Alonso is going to be on pole. Okay, <laughs> 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 into quarter three. <laughs> Why is it quarter three? Quali three. Right, count me in again. Scrap that. Okay, into Q3 now, and Deresta continues to do well with a uh, 133.388 uh, initially. Um, so yeah, good signs there. But then Rosberg, uh, blists, <sighs> blists. Right, so that leads us into the race where we had Rosberg getting a. Well, he managed to pull away in first, but he desperately managed to. <laughs> right, so that leads us into the race where Rosberg managed to keep his lead away from the start, but he only managed to hold. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so in terms of the top 10 positions, we have Jensen Button in 10th, Nico Rosberg 9th, Fernando Alonso. Okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Even worse.